Thank you for listening to the Reclaim Church podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to your life. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX. Now, please enjoy this message. Well, it's good to see you guys today. Um, we are in, the, in a series called The Table, and really what we're talking about is our relationship with the Lord and, and um, something that we value, of, of course, our number one value at our church, our core value is relationships. And we, we say that our relationship with the Lord is our number one value and then our relationship with each other. So today I have a message called the significance of the table. And um, really what I want to minister on is the significance, what happens in our relationship with the Lord as we get close to him, as we begin to know him. And so I've actually, um, I looked this up and, and this is pretty interesting the importance of the family table. And so there's a couple, I read an article, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's a couple of statistics that, that are pretty interesting when you actually take um, account and value having dinner with each other. I know that's something pretty simple, but check this out. So family dinners mean better family relationships. Eating meals together has the potential to strengthen family bonds as it provides a daily time for the whole family to be together. For younger children, routine family meals can provide a sense of security and a feeling of belonging in the family. Older children and teenagers, too, prefer eating together as a family. In a recent study, 71% of teenagers said they, they consider talking, catching up, and spending time with family members as the best part of the family dinners. Now, that's pretty cool. Now, check this out. Family dinners actually lead to greater happiness. Um, research examining 5,000 teenagers has shown that when children eat with their parents regularly, they are more likely to be emotionally strong and have better mental health. Teens who eat regular family meals were also more likely to be, to be adjusted, have good manners, and communication skills. This effect is not restricted to the children. Mothers who ate with their families often were also found to be happier and less stressed as compared to mothers who did not. Now, this sounds good, but I'm wondering if this article ever had dinner with my kids because sometimes when I eat, I stress out. Anyway, all right, one more. Um, Family dinners relieve stress. If you have a demanding job, finding time to eat with your family may actually leave you feeling less stressed. In 2008, this is a long time ago, researchers at uh, Brigham Young University conducted a study of IBM employees and found that sitting down to a family meal helped working moms reduce the tension and strain from long hours at the office. Now, you might be saying, well, why are you saying this? What does this matter to our topic today? I wanted to bring out the idea that relationships and, and, and cultivating relationships and investing in relationships actually changes us. And so there's a lot that's accomplished at the family table. And you say that there's security and internal issues that are not just healed but avoided. If we were to just invest in some healthy relationships, we can avoid a lot of issues in our life. Um, it, the table is this representation of investment in each other and community, but ultimately, what I want to talk about quickly is our relationship with the Lord and our time with Jesus. And when we meet regularly with Christ, a lot is accomplished in our life. We begin to talk like him. We begin to act like him. We begin to think like him. We begin to want to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. We, can't, we, can't put so, we cannot devalue our time with the Lord. It matters that you spend time with Jesus. It, it matters that you prioritize him in your life. Now, something that I found serving the Lord and being a part of a church, and, and not just this church, but my other church, what I found is that people are shocked when they come to church and don't change. But then the question comes, well, what does your prayer life look like? And, and are you spending time with the Lord by yourself? And oftentimes the answer is, well, not really. 
Can I tell you this, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but, but church really can't change your life. If you're new today, you might be like, well, I guess we don't have to come back. That's not what I'm saying. Church is healthy, and again, we're going to get into community. But church is not the answer to saving your soul. Church is not the answer to restoring your family. Church is not the answer to, to healing the brokenness and the wounds that are inside of us. That's not the answer. The answer is Christ. And the more time we spend with Jesus on our own, the more that's accomplished in our lives. See, Jesus was very intentional with his disciples. He invested into their lives. He intentionally taught them things and spent time with them and invested into them because he saw value in them. There was, he saw a value in his disciples just like he sees value in you. And so our, our, our core scripture story today is found in the book of Luke chapter 24. Verse 36 through 49. So we we'll do a little bit of reading. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screens. Thanks to Corey. Thank you, Corey. You're the best. All right. <clears throat> Let's read this. As they were talking about these things. So before, so before I read that, we got to know what's happening. So Jesus had just died and resurrected. And now he's, he walked with some guys. They had no clue what, who he was. And they wanted to invite him to dinner. He goes with them. He reveals himself. They're like, oh, my gosh, that's him. That's Jesus. He's actually alive from the dead. Like everything that he said actually happened. And so now the setting is this. Now they're meeting with the rest of the disciples and they're explaining to them what happened. So that's where we find this. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. That it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, thank God that he came back. Thank God that what happened actually happened, that there's forgiveness of sins, that we don't have to live our own life anymore. And Jesus is here telling them, listen, this is something that I said would happen, and now you're seeing it revealed to you. And then he says, but wait, in Jerusalem, don't do anything yet. Wait. And so we see that they waited, and we find the result of their waiting in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And we're going to read that right now. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And, and, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, what happened is Jesus is meeting them. He's telling them to wait. And then we see what happens when they're waiting. The Holy Spirit falls on them and everything changes at that point. We say it like this. Jesus was God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. 
The same promise that they had, the same Holy Spirit that they had, is the same Holy Spirit that we have today. There's no difference. Kathleen was saying it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This same Holy Spirit is living inside of you today. And when we prioritize our relationship with Jesus, when we spend time with him, when we're honest and open with him, we, we, we develop a life of prayer, I think three things happen, and we kind of saw them in Scripture. I believe that he gives us security, he gives us our assignment, and then he gives us community. And so the, these are the three things that I want to talk about. We only have about an, another hour and a half of my sermon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't preach that long. At least I don't think so. Sometimes I get the podcast, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. That was a long one. So the first thing I want to talk about is security at the table. So think about this. Jesus had just died. He rose from the dead. Now he's meeting them for dinner. And he sees that they're doubting him. So Jesus says, okay, well, why don't you touch my hands? It's really me. You can see that it's me. What I love about Jesus is that even in their doubts, he still gave them security. Even in their moment of, of disbelief, he still was willing and able to prove himself to them. So we understand that in our time with the Lord at the table with Jesus and our relationship, I have security in my trials. I have security in my life. And so Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I don't know if it's supposed to repeat or if it's just copy and paste, but it's right there. I'll say it twice so we can remember it. See, when life is chaotic, you ever have chaotic moments in life? Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, it's okay. I do. You ever have those moments in life where you're like, I don't know, man, I don't know if God's really here. I don't know if he really hears me. I don't know if he's really back from the dead. I'm starting to have struggle. Anybody have trouble with their faith sometimes? I guess I'm alone on that one. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Mark's like, yes. We all struggle with those things. We all have those struggles in life, those trials, when it feels like it's chaos and it's doubt and it's, it's unbelief and it's pain and there's hurt and there's, there's these trials, but I can find peace in the presence of God. I find security with Jesus. See, with Jesus, listen, no matter what you're going through in your life, when you have Jesus, there's always a reason to rejoice. There's always a reason to be happy. There's always a reason to have joy. There's always a reason to be satisfied. Can I just be honest with you for one second? Not that the rest of the time I'm lying, but. <laughs> can I be honest for one second? Yes, you can. Thank you. Sometimes I feel, as a pastor, sometimes I feel unqualified to do this. That's just the truth. Like before we started the church, even after, sometimes I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Like, is there somebody like to tag in, like <laughs> to, to take the rest of, you know what I mean? Because I don't know if I'm the right one. Sometimes I feel like we're not doing a good enough job. And I'm not saying this, so, you know, so you, you know, just to get attention. I just want to be honest with you because I want you to know that we also go through things, my family and I. But I can always, always find my security in the presence of God. Because in Jesus, whether the church is successful or not, whether my family is successful or not, whether things look how I feel like they should look, no matter what, in Jesus, I have satisfaction 
In Jesus, I have everything that I need. I'm going to be honest with you. As much as I love people, I'm okay with just God. As much as I love you guys coming to the church, I'm not, and I want you to get this perspective is what I'm trying to present here is that Jesus is my goal. To have the spirit in this church is the goal. The goal is not to build a big church. The goal is not to have a lot of money. The goal is not to own a bunch of property, although we may have that one day. Our goal is to connect to Jesus because when we connect to Jesus, we have everything that we need. I can be fully satisfied in my trials because my security is found in Christ. I can be fully satisfied no matter where I'm at because I have Jesus with me in my trials. Check this out. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothings like when you go through things. Rejoice. When you have trials in your life, Rejoice. When things don't look like you want them to look, rejoice. Because we know that my trials make me more like Jesus. And I can rejoice because I'm with him at the table. See, there's things in life, we have security in our trials of life, but we also have security from our enemies. I'm just going to say this right off the bat. I don't know anywhere in scripture where the Bible says to prove your haters wrong. I don't see that anywhere or to prove your enemies wrong. I hear a lot of people preach on that kind of stuff like, oh, you know, you got you to gotta show, show them that you're doing good now and prove it to them that you're doing better. And it's like, I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that when people talk about you. I know that nobody else, nobody deals with that. But, you know, when it does happen to somebody out there, people talk about them. The goal is not to prove your enemies wrong. The goal is not to prove the family that burned you and hurt you wrong. That's not the goal. The goal is to understand this, that I can love my enemies because even with enemies, I have security in Christ. Even with people saying things about me that may be true, may be exaggerated, may be a complete lie, I don't have to prove myself to them. I don't have to. I don't have to show them that I'm better than what they're saying. I don't have to do that. Why? Because I have Jesus. I've got one person to please, and that's the Lord. You're like, well, what about your wife? (laughs) Like, you know, she just loves me as I am. No, if I'm pleasing God, I please my wife too. But we don't have to prove these people wrong. Psalms 23, 5 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of the people that don't like you. In the presence of the people that are out to get you. In the presence of the people who talk badly about you and who try to get ahead of you. In the presence of those people who try to prove that they're better than you. In the presence of people like that because the reality is is there are people like that. Even in their presence, you're at the table with Christ. Even in the presence of those people, you have this relationship with Jesus that the enemy has no power in. Listen, the enemy has no power in the presence of God. He doesn't. 
The enemy has no power in the presence of God. The only power that the enemy has in your life is the power that you give him. Is the areas that you say, you know what, I'll compromise here a little bit and I'll, I'll do that a little bit. I know that it's wrong, but I'm going to do it because I feel like I can. Those are the areas that you're giving the enemy power to. But the enemy has no power in the presence of God. So we have security in our relationship with the Lord. We have security not just to go through trials and not just from our enemy, but you have security to be yourself. I love this story with the disciples because they're doubting Jesus. Now imagine Jesus going through all that he just went through. He just got crucified. He just got just tortured, tormented. All this craziness that we kind of talked about a little bit last week. But now he's meeting with the people that were supposed to believe in him to the end. And they don't even believe in him anymore. But what I love is Jesus doesn't say, oh, you don't believe in me? Well, then forget you. I'm out of here. Good luck. Good luck. No, what does he do? He says, okay, let me help you believe. In your time with God, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to pray. See, the enemy will tell you, he'll say things like this, well, you can't pray because you just said that, or because you just did that, or because you just went there, or because you just thought that. You can't go to the Lord because you're too bad. And how often do we believe that? We don't come to church because of what we did on the weekend. Can I encourage you at this church? You're welcome to come as you are. At our church, you're welcome to come as you are. Because that's how Christ was. It was never about, well, you've got to be right to, to follow the Lord. That's not how it went. He called people in their sin and set them free from that sin. So you have freedom in the presence of God to go before the Lord and say, God, I'm doubting a little bit today. Father, I don't feel like you're real today. God, I'm really going through it. I'm really tempted, Lord. I just fell in my temptation. God, I need you today. I have to have you today. It's in the presence of God that you can be who you are and be completely honest with God. And it's in the presence of God that you learn who he is. I've learned in my life that I can fully rely on Jesus. I can fully rely on my relationship with him. Have I made a lot of mistakes? Absolutely. Have there been times in my life when I feel like I can't? Absolutely. Has there been moments when I should have prayed and I didn't? Yes. But I'm secure in my relationship with the Lord. In our, in our time at the table, spending time with Jesus getting into his presence, reading the word. You don't have to be a scholar or a theologian to read the Bible. Pick it up, read a couple of verses a day. You know, I understand that we're all, well, not all of us, but a lot of us are, are new to the idea of church and like getting into church and developing a relationship with Christ. And some of us come from a really, a really a, just a place of religion, if we're honest where all that matters is church. But what I want to get our church to understand is that it's about relationship with the Lord. 
it's not about just coming here. It's more about what you do from Monday to Saturday. Like, yes, you're welcome as you are, but man, don't miss the opportunity that you have to know God. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of sounding like a broken record sometimes where it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. We can know God. I get it. But I think that's the problem. Is that we become so like used to hearing that. But you can know God. Like, I'm nobody special. I'm just surrendered to the Lord. You can do what God has called you to do. And this is what happens in our relationship with the Lord. Yes, we have security, but also we receive assignment. See, Jesus told them that same day, he said, listen, something's coming and you've got to wait for it. I'm, I'm assigning you your task. Your task is to wait. I love that Jesus often did these things in a very casual setting. It was very personal. It was these moments where they were just at the table with him. And he's sharing the plan, and he's like, all right, this is what you're going to do. This is what it's going to look like. This is the assignment that I have for your life. Very casual. It was, it was pretty rare that the heavens would open and God would assign somebody a task from there. Often assignment came from a personal place with Christ. Because the assignment that you have is personal. It comes from a personal place. It's like, God, what's my calling? Right? You ever, like, I'm sure some of you pray that. I get emails like that sometimes in the ministry that I work for. Can you pray that God would reveal the calling on my life? It's like, you can. You can ask him. Well, what does God want me to do? We learn his will when we know his heart. We're often looking for our assignment in the future, right? Like, what do I, God, what am I going to do 10 years from now? Am I going to be a pastor? Am I going to be a missionary? God, what am I going to do? And, and I get it. Those are good things. But can I tell you that your assignment starts after you get out of church? Amen. Amen. Your assignment is Monday through Sunday or Sunday through Sunday, I guess. That's, your assignment is every day. But we don't know that because we're not in his will or knowing his heart. And so I understand, and sometimes do I, do I miss it? Absolutely. But I know that my biggest job is not preaching on Sunday mornings. My biggest and greatest assignment is how I live when I go home. How I treat my kids. How I treat my wife. How I treat the person that's driving really slow in front of me. How I treat the person at the drive-thru. How I treat the person that's rude to me. How you treat the people, your waiters. Come on. I've heard that restaurants hate Sundays. How sad is that? That Christians are the worst guests at a restaurant. True. I worked at a restaurant for like a week. <laughs> See, there you go. Got some experience over here. I got fired on my day off. True story. <laughs> that is absolutely true. That is not a joke. I, got, I came in. They're like, hey, you're done. <laughs> but our assignment is not like this crazy, like, 
you're going to go and you're going to go to another nation and, and you're going to, like, although that is amazing and that's wonderful, and yes, it probably will happen, but our assignment is daily. Because when I know the Lord, when I know him, then I respond to everybody else based on my relationship with Jesus. Because when I see his heart, I see others through that heart. This, this is true. You know what will change the city and what will change the world? If we all saw people like God saw them. Every one of us, not just me. Don't put it on me. This is all of us. Every one of us have an assignment to be the light wherever we go. See, church is important, yes. Church, we, this is valuable. We're going to talk about that a little bit as we're closing. But you have to have your own personal, foundational relationship with Christ. That is on you. Say, well, pastor, can you pray for me? Can you help me? Absolutely. But I cannot make you know God. We can set up a setting like this where we come together and we learn the word and we experience the spirit of God. We can set up small groups like we have on every other Friday and every other Saturday at 7.30, Austin, Hutto, and Taylor. A little, little plug right there. We set those things up, yes, absolutely, but nobody can make you know God. Nobody can make you search for God. Nobody can make you read your word. Nobody can make you pray daily. Nobody can make you do that. That has to be on your own. And then we receive our assignment. But this is the greatest part about our assignment. It's, it's sometimes, if we're honest, it's like, man, I can't love people like you're saying to love people. Anybody ever feel like that? I know when I'm driving sometimes on my way to church, I'm like, you need to hurry up. Like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to be late to praising the Lord. You better, come on. Right? Sometimes it feels, sometimes, can I be honest, in my marriage, my wife is with the kids right now, so if anybody tells her, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So my, in my marriage, sometimes I feel like I cannot respond to her like God wants me to respond to her. I want to say what I want to say. I know I'm alone in that because we got a lot of perfect husbands here. Thank you. Right, right? I, I know I don't feel like I can. But this is a great part of the assignment from God. It's an assignment from God and an assignment by God. It's, it, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish his work. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The Holy Spirit shows us how and gives us the power to do. I am a worse husband when I'm not praying. I am a worse father when I'm not praying. I am a bad leader when I'm not in prayer. Because the things that the Lord has given me to do cannot be accomplished without him. The church that we have, that we're building, I'm going to be completely honest with you. We are fully relying on the Holy Spirit. This is not a work of man. People are like, how did you, you know, because for our, our churches that we've been send, sending out, like 
this is a very, very quick growth. Very fast. Like, I, I'm not going to say how many members we have because I don't know if it really matters, but we have a lot more than I thought we would. And you're like, where are they? <laughs> but when people ask me, well, how'd you do it? I'm like, I don't, I can't tell you. Like, we did what we could do, but we relied on the Spirit of God. We relied on the Holy Spirit because every assignment that you have from God, yes, you receive it in relationship, and you can do it because of relationship. You can, you can be a better father. You can be a better husband. You can be a better wife. You can be a better mother. You can be a better friend. You can be a better person. You can be a better neighbor, but you have to get into the presence of God because you can't do it by yourself. You may be able to do it for one day, and then the next day, you know what we do? Well, they're not treating me right, so I'm not going to do that anymore. The Holy Spirit empowers you to love people even when they hate you. Ooh, we don't like that one, huh? We don't like that one. It's like, why can't we, like, just ignore them? Why doesn't the scripture say ignore those who hate you? Because I can do that. No, no, no. It says to love those who hate you. Love those who spitefully use you. Next point. No, we're not going to talk about the next point because that's, that's, I can feel that one. That one's hard. I had this, this individual one time, and my wife and I did young adult ministry for a long time, and I had this individual. I literally spent probably the most time with anybody with him on the phone, praying with him, helping him. And one time we had this meeting, me and him, and he, he goes, you know what? You're just a bad leader. You're a bad, you're, you, you, just, you just care about numbers. And he's sitting telling me all this. And I was like, all right, well, get out there. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I wanted to. But you know what I did? I could have said a lot of things. But I said, hey, man, I love you. And I know you feel this way now but I'm here for you. And I want you to know that, that when you're ready, I'm here for you. Could I have done that by myself? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do the assignment that he's given us. It's an assignment by the Lord, from the Lord, and for the Lord. We do it because we love him. You know, sometimes when we're tempted to sin, the best thing to get out of temptation is to fall in love with the Lord. Because then it stops becoming about like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do what's right. I can't do that because it's against the rules. And it starts becoming, I do this because I love him. I'm obedient because I love Christ. I'm loving my wife and treating her right because I love Jesus too. I'm loving my kids and being patient with them because I love Jesus. Does that make sense this morning? And lastly is community. David, if you want to come up here and play. It's community. And I, I, this is, I actually wanted to do a whole sermon on just this topic, but I didn't. Um, I, we ended up talking about all this. Um, but when you meet with God, when you start to develop a relationship with Jesus, 
He puts you in a place to connect with everybody else. Because here's the thing about spiritual fruit. Is they're more beneficial for others than ourselves. Think about patience, kindness, gentleness, all love, all those things are more beneficial to everybody else than to me. Because I can be patient with myself, but I need the gift of patience to be patient with everybody else. Right? I could be kind to myself, but I need the gift and the power, empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be kind to everybody else. So this is the thing is that you are designed to have community. You're designed to know people. You're designed to be in a house of God. And in Acts 2, 44 through 47 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing it to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, at the table... It's not about what you're eating. It's about who you're eating with. It's not about what you're having, but who's there with you. It's so important that we develop a community in this church. But here's the thing is community takes intentionality. You're not going to just come to a church and be like, okay, well, I'm fully connected now and I know everybody and, and this is my home, right? This is home, praise God, like I'm in it. No, no, no. It takes intentionality. Each one of us have an individual responsibility to our community. Your life matters to our church. It matters. It matters that you show up on Sunday. It matters that you stay faithful to your ministry and to your work. It matters that you reach out to one another and build relationship with one another. It matters that you live right. Galatians 5, 7 through 9 says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What is he saying? That a little bit of sin taints or stains the entire community. We have an individual responsibility in our community to live right to, for God. We can't just be sinning throughout the whole week and then come to church, act like everything's all right. Because that affects what God can do in this building. It affects what God can do in this community. Now, yes, we understand we make mistakes and we fall. I get all that. But in community, you have responsibility to live right and to pursue relationships because community is more than just a crowd. Community is not numbers of people coming together. Community is when crowd meets unity. When people come together with the same mind and we're all pursuing the same thing. See, we at this church, we're not united by our football team. Because I'm sure if we shouted it out, we'd have different guys, hey, boo, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not together or unified by our, our taste in music, our background, 
our age. That's not what unifies this church. That's not what brings us together. What brings and unifies the church is the Holy Spirit. That is what brings unity. And when we're all seeking Him as a unit with one mind, as a community, then great things can happen. But this is the thing, is that the enemy tries to divide a community. He'll do whatever, we, whatever he can to separate a church. You know how he does it? He does it by, by whispering little things into your head like, oh, they don't really care about you. You're just a number to them. You don't need to go to small group because they don't, they're not even going to know if you're there or not. He tells you things like that. Like, oh, they just want to use you. That's what he does. I've been in church for a long time, my whole life. I've seen people come and go for like the craziest reasons. And I'm like, I'm like, why are you leaving? You're like, because so-and-so said this and so-and-so did that. And it's like, man, the enemy will do anything to separate a community. Can I tell you what the biggest thing in our church, in a church, I believe, will separate is offense. They offended me. I'm not going to go back because the pastor offended me. I'm just going to be honest again. I will probably offend you again. I'm a human being. I say things. Sometimes people that I shouldn't say. Offense will happen. You will get offended at a church. If you're looking for the perfect one, this is not it. You will get offended at a church. That's what separates. Well, she looked at me a certain way, and he said something to me that I didn't like, and he's, he's trying to tell me how to raise my family, and he's trying to tell me that my life's not right, and, he, and all blah, blah, blah. You have all these reasons to be offended. Don't let offense separate what God is doing in our church. You know how you get through offense? This is super cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I thought of it this way. You don't get over a fence or offense. You go under it. Now you're like, what the heck does that even mean? What I mean is you can't climb over the offense that you have. You have to humble yourself and go under it. Offense is overcome by humility. If we have people in our church who are walking around saying, well, you need to treat me this way and you need to talk to me this way, guess what? That person's going to be very offended. But if we have people in our church that will say, you know what? I'm going to love you no matter how you talk to me. I'm going to treat you right. If all of us live that way, then we'd have a community with unity and pursuing the same goal. And last point, the reason we need this unity is because we can accomplish more together than we can separately. I'm not building a church by myself. I'm not doing this so that it's like, oh, Pastor Mike did this. and He, man, you're doing such a great job. No, 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 no. We're doing this together. Because I understand that I can accomplish great things on my own. God has designed it to work as a unit, as a community together. To say, hey, all of us, we're pursuing the will of God. And what is the mission of our church? The mission is to reach, restore, and release. To get people that are lost and broken and hurting and don't know Jesus. And to bring them into the presence of God so that they can feel his love. So they can hear that he loves them and he can forgive them and he can set them free. And then they can come to our church, get saved, get restored, and do what God wants to do in their life.
That's our goal. But we can't accomplish that alone. It takes a community together. So at the table with the Lord, we have security from our trials, from our enemies, and even to be ourselves. We get our assignment, and we're empowered to do it, and we receive community because that's how the Lord designed the church was to live and serve God together. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX or check us out on our website, ReclaimChurchTX.com. Thank you for listening.